Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Faith Roberts for Elite Learning, and I'm your host for this episode of our podcast series, Making Sense of Dollars and Cents. Finance, Budgeting, and Staffing Skills for Nurse Leaders. We've begun to explore the development of skills that are central to a nurse leader's success. In our last episode, our guest, Pamela Hunt, walked us through the challenges, some historically based and some related to timely issues like the COVID-19 pandemic, that nurse leaders face with the financial aspects of scheduling and staffing. In other words, the money part. Together, we've explored the link between clinical and financial decision-making, and we dived into nurse turnover and vacancy rates. In this and the following episode, Pam helps us understand the opportunities nurse leaders have to work through the challenges and potentially get more nurses at the bedside. Pam is a go-to expert on matters of finance relating to healthcare and nursing with broad knowledge in staffing, ROI, and making a case for capital expenditures. You can learn about Pam's extensive background in the show notes that accompany this episode. About those show notes, or handouts as Pam refers to them, she has provided detailed information and practical examples that will be helpful to you as you learn about the topics explored in this series. I encourage you to download the show notes from our webpage at EliteLearning.com slash podcast. You can refer to them as you're following Pam or refer back to them when it's convenient for you. Let's pick up from where we left off in our last episode with Pam discussing more of the challenges and opportunities that come with staffing and scheduling. Now, here's something else that I want to bring to your attention because I'm going to talk about our partners. Oftentimes, we think about our workforce challenges today and what's causing us pain, and we don't think about other partners in the hospital. So the RN Recruitment Difficulty Index in days Uh, What this tells us is that it is taking longer to recruit in days than it ever has in the past several years. So, for example, this is an interesting one in particular, labor and delivery. So everybody wants to work in labor and delivery, right? I mean, we, we always had a waiting list for labor and delivery their days to fill on an average nationally have went from 65 to 86 days to fill a position in labor and delivery. Uh, you know, another area that is experiencing um, something that, that, that they've not experienced in the past, and that's periop. Periop no longer has a waiting list in some areas. And that's very, very foreign to them. Uh, so I'm going to go into some workforce challenges. So, so what I'm 
what I want to say before I leave there, and because I foreshadowed it, I may say it in the future of our talk as well. Uh, when we talk about recruitment uh, days to fill a position, uh, we often think of our workforce challenges in nursing are get more nurses at the bedside. But I want you to think a little further than that. And I want to ask yourself, does my recruiting team, does the recruiting team uh, at the organization that I work for, do they have enough people? You know, times are tough out there and it takes more to recruit than it ever did. So do we have enough HR partners to do the work that we need help with? Uh, I think that's a very important question to ask ourselves. So here's just a, a few more projections and opportunities. Hospital growth continues. Remember when we were told 10 years ago that hospital beds were going to decrease? Well, we know that that's not the case. And the trend is that 40% of hospitals are projecting to increase their RN complement because their bed growth in the next year. Over time, internal resource pools and critical pay is at its all-time high. I know I talked about the high percentage of travel nurses. The travel nurse rates have jumped 200% over the last year. Hospitals are spending 62.5% more on travelers than they did at the beginning of 2020. And here's another statistic that would be good to use for your ROI. And again, these are all cited in your handouts as well as in the 2020 uh, NSI report. For every 20 RN traveler positions eliminated, a hospital can save an average of $3 million. So what are our opportunities? I talked about talent acquisition team recruiters. Hospitals are expected to grow workforce, but often we do not recognize the need to expand the recruitment team. What are your relationships with universities, clinical rotation offerings? I know it's hard to find preceptors. It's hard to make time for students, but we've got to engage in clinical rotation for the universities uh, to be the, the place of choice when these young graduates uh, get go into the workforce. Staff leaders uh, serving as adjunct faculty to create connection with those new students. And uh, what are your marketing efforts at the, the community events and at local schools? Enhancing orientation and onboarding. Think about offering virtual, non-clinical components of orientation. And I'm currently working with a hospital that's offering Saturday and evening orientation. That may be hard. Uh, that, that may be a difficult adjustment for some of those areas that traditionally have not had non-traditional working hours. But we've got to meet them where they are. I don't know if you've all heard that term. I was introduced to that term about 18 months ago. And I've used it over and over. We've got to meet them where they are. Uh, varied shifts. We're looking at more four-hour shifts, eight-hour shifts, 10-hour shifts, 12-hour shifts. Now, I will tell you, 
uh, all of us know, as we think about the workforce, all of us know that the, that the period of time when a caregiver is handing off to a caregiver is one of the most critical times for patient safety, for there to be a patient safety lapse. So I do think we need to be sensitive to four hour shifts and how we use those. But my question or my challenge is, is there opportunity to do a four hour shift for somebody who it works with their lifestyle? I could name several, but it works with their lifestyle to come in and just be that nurse that, I don't mean just, but be that nurse that relieves nurses for lunch break so that nurses actually can have time away from their clinical practice and know that their patients are still being watched. So um, think about those varied shift times. Unlicensed personnel and how we're using them, and I'll talk about that a little bit later in the presentation or in our talk together today. Offering temporary licensure for individuals who are currently licensed in another state. Uh, I, I currently practice in the state of Indiana, and we uh, just a couple of years ago lobbied and were successful in becoming a compact state so that uh, our license, uh, it, someone, a nurse that is also licensed in another compact state when they come to the state of Indiana, don't have to wait that long period to uh, practice and get a, a, a license. And um, financial wellness programs, making sure that you're paying attention to the financial health of your uh, caregivers by offering those programs. I want to talk just a little bit uh, about workforce opportunities as we talk about those travelers. And I'm going to introduce a term, maybe some of you have heard the term, maybe some of you experience the term, and the term is travel resentment. Um, we, I, I see this throughout the hospitals that I work with, is a lot of uh, nurses, they, they're working alongside travelers, nurses who are traveling, and they they know they need them. They are appreciative of their work. They're appreciative of the practice, but there's resentment. So um, here's some ideas from across the country of what some things are, some, some organizations are doing. Some of this may fit for you, some of it may not, but I'm here to give you what I see across the country so you can take what works for you. Offer money to the current staff first. So if you have money to give, what retention incentives can you give to your current staff? Um, current plan transparency. So I think this is so important in leadership. What are we doing to retain our current staff? What are we doing to recruit permanent staff? Where do we stand in hiring? Make that visible, communicate it, and update it. What's the importance here? The team at the bedside want to know that you know what's going on and that you're doing something about it. They want to know that you're doing something about it to get them help. There are some actions that I see being taken for current members leaving to travel. So one of those is 
some places are not hiring travelers who live within a 50 mile radius of them. Some of them are not hiring travelers who have worked for the organization within the last year. So those are two options. Maybe your organization can tolerate that, maybe you can't, but those are two options that I see some places using. And always, always, always involve current caregivers in those decisions. Uh, how are you using your professional practice councils and membership to help problem solve this? You know, uh, nobody knows better than the people at the bedside what's being said and what ideas they might have for improvement. Faith, what's your thoughts at this point? I appreciate the um, information and certainly uh, traveler or travel resentment is rampant uh, for all the reasons you stated. Um, we also have uh, all of us heard the urban legends and uh, the vast majority of traveling professionals do a good job, but one story can grow legs very quickly in an organization that is stressed as we all are in 2022. Um, my point is, um, as you mentioned about the councils, as a leader, a nurse leader, I think it is my, in my purview that when HR and admin go together and make this report on retention, recruitment, what our plan is, that I take it to at least one staff council and say, tell me about this uh, PowerPoint, this memo, what do you think? Because if the staff nurses throw it back and say, I don't even understand what that means, then it doesn't do us any good to communicate it. And really, for many people who are stressed, the brief uh, the, that you put forward, the shorter and just down to earth it can be, graphics, percents, those are things that, you know, I want to look at it and say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that we didn't hire travelers within 50 miles. Oh my gosh, I didn't know this. Or... I just heard this on a podcast. I wonder if my hospital would consider this. And, and earlier, what you said about clinics, I wonder if our place is talking about this. So I just feel like as leaders, we need to remind the people who are communicating, who are experts at uh, communication, but I need the verbiage to be in the lingo of a, of a nurse at the bedside or as you said, next to the ED gurney or getting ready to room the next patient for diabetes test uh, teaching. I want them to be able to say, this is my facility taking care of nursing and helping us get through this. So that, I, I just think it's important. And, and I loved what you said about the councils because I think that is our test, our litmus test for a reality check. Yeah, thanks for, thank you for that addition and that emphasis on making sure that we're connecting to people, uh, to, to the staff, the caregivers at the bedside. Um, that transparency, as you said, you know, when you said you, you may have a staff nurse that says, oh my gosh, I didn't know we were doing that. And, you know, um, not only you may get 
a higher level of respect for leadership because we're in we're we're sharing what we're doing, right? Or you may get a staff nurse that says, that's not an incentive that's gonna get anybody. Well, if that's the case, then we don't wanna be doing it. So, uh, you know, I always say great ideas around a board table, about a board, around a boardroom table, when they get put into practice, sometimes don't look so great. So we really uh, need to, to have that connection to the bedside. So uh, thanks for reminding us at a deeper level of how important that is. So now hopefully at this point, I've got your attention. Got your attention about this is our current state. This is where we are. We're not gonna roll over and say it's 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 beyond repair because it's not. But when we when we or as we come out of our current pandemic and even in the current pandemic, we've got to be strategic about our staffing. And we've got to understand that I know we can develop a staffing plan right now and you're gonna tell me, well, that's great, but there's no way I can, I, I don't have that, that much staff to fill that plan. I understand, but you gotta know how much you need before you know what to ask for, before you know how critical this need is to offer these incentives, you gotta have a plan. You gotta know what you need as the starting point. And it's a great measure in the future when you do start, when this does start turning around, when these young graduates come out and they wanna come work for you and they wanna come work and take care of the patient population that you have responsibility for. That's gonna happen, you guys. That's gonna happen. And when that does happen, you need to know who you need, what skill mix, how many to create the staffing plan that takes best care of your patients. So let's talk about something that is on everybody's mind right now, and that is who's on the care team. It's different for every organization. I'm not here to tell you what's right or what's wrong. I'm here to tell you that we need to understand that, you know, there's a care team includes RNs. It may include LPNs or in some states, LVNs nursing assistants, transporters, lift team members, phlebotomy. The care team includes case managers, pharmacists, social workers, physicians. All of those people are considered on our care team. One of the most important questions, and, and at this point, before I go any further, I want to tell you that, um, or I want to inspire you to look at your handouts that go along with this podcast, because I'm going to walk you down a very logistical, very linear, very logical way to calculate 
how many FTEs you need on your staffing roster, and what skill mix those FTEs might need to be. So as I go through this, I'm going to talk to you about it. Obviously, that's what a podcast is. But it's a lot of formulas. So I'm going to inspire you to, if you can, get the handout and refer to the handout along with me so that you can see the formulas in front of you. So when we're developing our staffing schedule, staffing schedules are developed as we talk in FTEs. And, and some of you out there may be listening to this because you understand that you don't have a lot of finance knowledge. So let me just share with you what an FTE stands for. That is a acronym. We love acronyms in healthcare, don't we? That's an acronym that we use for full-time equivalent. And a full-time equivalent is someone or a combination of someone's that works 40 hours a week or 80 hours a pay period. That's a full-time equivalent. So we can we estimate that a full-time equivalent works 2,080 hours per year. You can actually calculate if you don't have a position control that does this for you. You can calculate how much any one person, how much of an FTE, any one person on your staffing roster consumes, if you will, by taking the number of hours per day that they work, multiplying by the number of days that they work per week, and dividing that by 40 hours. I always like to give an example when I'm talking about finance because I think it makes us uh, understand it a little bit easier. If you have someone on your staffing roster that works eight hours a day and they work three days a week, they work 24 hours a week. You divide that by 40, that individual is actually 0.6 FTEs. If you have someone that works 12 hours a day and they also work three days a week, that person works 36 hours a week, divide that by 40, and they're actually a 0.9 FTE. So at this point, what I want to point out is this has nothing to do with the benefits that they're occurring. That 0.9 FTE most likely in most organizations is receiving full-time benefits. Do not make the mistake of saying, oh, that person's a, a, uh, a 12 hours, three days a week. They're a 1.0 because this has nothing to do with benefits. This has to do with how many hours they're going to be at the bedside. So don't make that mistake. The first thing we're going to review is staffing plans for inpatient units. And the reason why I go over inpatient units first is because that still is the majority of where nursing practices, where, where nursing practice occurs. And all of us have probably are probably familiar with average daily census. But I want to talk about is it average daily census, which would be the mean, is it the mode, or is it the median? And you're thinking right now, okay, I'm, I'm clicking off of this podcast. I'm not going to listen to statistics 
this isn't for me, don't click off. So when I talk about the mean, we know that that's the average. When I talk about the median, I'm going to remind you that's the number that falls in the middle of the number set. And when I talk about the mode, that's the number that occurs most frequently. So in your notes handouts, you'll see an example of a unit that has census points for 30 days. And this is a, a, a unit that has a lot of procedures. So it goes from having 29 patients, 28 patients some days, down to 15 to 16 patients on the weekends. I had a unit like this, or it was the, in, in my uh, area of responsibility. So this unit, if I looked at the mean, so I take the average, that's 23.6 as the average census for this unit. If I took the number that falls in the middle of the number set, the median is 25. And if I take the mode, the most frequently occurring number census was 28. What I want to stress to you is that as a nurse leader, this is a great exercise, if you will, to do for your unit. And then you need to ask yourself this. If I staff at the mean or the median or the mode, how many days am I going to be absolutely staffed for what I need? How many days would I be overstaffed? And how many days would I be understaffed? And again, great example in your handouts. And then you need to ask yourself, okay, is it more difficult for me to be understaffed and get people to come in? What's my other resources? Does my network system, organization, have an internal resource pool that I can pull from? How do I get people to come in if I'm understaffed? Look at the number of days that you're overstaffed and ask yourself how big of a satisfied, does my organization float nurses to other areas if we're overstaffed? How big of a dissatisfier is that? What's my workforce's ability or tolerance to take days off with census days and all of those questions or the answers to all of those questions goes into the answer for you the nurse leader of what is going to be my average or what's going to be the number that I use to calculate my staffing for this unit. See how it's not a cookie cutter? See how I can't tell you? Use your average daily census. Use your median. Use your mode. I can't tell you that, you guys. But I can tell you how to do this and make those decisions according to the team that you have responsibility for because you know them. I know you appreciate as much as I do how Pam's approach recognizes that one size does not fit all when it comes to staffing and scheduling. And I know you'll find the practical examples and resources she has provided in the show notes to be exceedingly helpful as you work through staffing and scheduling decisions that suit the needs of your department or unit and patients. Be sure to download those examples and resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as an episode transcript at elite 
www.lifelearning.com slash podcasts. But we're not done with this complicated topic just yet. Pam has more best practice information and tips to share to help you through the intricacies of staffing and scheduling, decision-making. Don't miss the next episode in our continuing podcast series. This is Faith Roberts for Elite Learning. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.